Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome back to the Monroe Live podcast. I'm Kevin Hardy, and I'm here with John Rettinger. And uh, you know, John, you have a I don't know a lot about you, but you have a pretty interesting background. You know, you've been involved with yeah. YouTube for a very long time. You owned a, a tech review company, and then now you've kind of made uh, you know YouTube your your primary focus. So uh, it's it's been kind yeah, of like a pretty been, it's interesting been a, it's journey. Been a good long run, uh, going back um, you know fifteen or sixteen years, even before. YouTube partner program, but my loves aside from my family has always been cars, tech, and sports. So I'm able to get I'm able to get cars and tech sort of in the YouTube space, but sports has been my uh, been my white whale. Interesting, um, you know, with the like, if I may, you know, like with the kind of like the YouTube aspect. Um, I'm, I'm ironically, even though there will be this will be broadcasted on YouTube, I'm pretty ignorant about it. Um, but like, what would you say like the biggest difference, you know, now versus when you started with YouTube? You know, probably 12 years ago, especially in the car space. YouTube had this thing. They knew they had a lot of eyes on it. And they tried to create their own original content. And that was sort of the direction they wanted to be in a network. So I actually created, it was called Techno Buffalo Drives at the time. It was done by YouTube. It was funded by YouTube. It was developed by YouTube and edited by YouTube. We went out and kind of reviewed uh, a bunch of cars. And then YouTube realized that user-generated was the way to go. And I think that's sort of been the, the way they've had going forward. They've tried divergent paths with strategy. Uh, algorithmic changes have changed completely how people view the content and how creators upload and sort of the things that go in with, with algorithmic preference or not. Um, but really YouTube leaning fully into what it is and what it does best as sort of UGC uh, has been the biggest change. Gotcha. Interesting. And that's essentially how like people are reimbursed and things of that nature and how content is driven to individual content creators? Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, you're sort of on a, on a very baseline. So somebody who's brand new to YouTube and they're like, what, what is this thing? And how do you make money from doing it? It's like, I'm you know, trying to explain it to my, you know, my parents at Thanksgiving. Um, you know, so creating content, thinking of it like a, like a product, right? Anybody's creating content. It's, it's a thing. It might not be a tangible widget, but it's still a product. And sort of YouTube saying, how is this content going to be viewed? Who's going to view it? What are the metrics going to make you successful? Is it watch time, click-through rate? We're going to serve that to a small subset of people. It'll go out to larger. If it's successful, then more people will watch it. If it's not, then we're going to kind of kill it. Uh, has been been a big change you do as well, focusing less on subscriber numbers, more on home feed, and more algorithmic preference versus anything else. Gotcha. So, you know, as you kind of started, you said you've always been interested in, you know, technology, cars, and, and oh, sports. Yeah. Um, I like, I like playing sports. I, uh, I'm kind of like the, the sport ball type of guy, you know, uh, I've, uh, been to one baseball game ever in my entire life. Happened to be a, a lion or, uh, not lions, a, a tiger's game, but, um, with Jordan, uh, we got kind of goat roped into it, but, uh, it was interesting, but, uh, so I think you, you initially started with tech and, yep. uh, and spent a lot of time, um, with it now. And, and you've always had this kind of background of interesting cars. What would you say is like, um, like now, like we'll say with EVs specifically. Sure. How do you see like the tech industry and like what is the commonality? Because they're very, very different, you know, industries, and we can kind of talk about that. But uh, like, yeah, of course. What do you see them? What's the commonality to you from your point of view? I mean, the especially sort of what Tesla started. Uh, EVs are computers and software that you can drive, right? So the overlap with tech is clearly there. I mean, you have cars now that play tier one games. That have some some semblance of autonomy in them, uh, you can review and approach cars like tech. Now that that approach isn't for everybody. For the you know the the car enthusiast crowd, that's an approach that probably you know grinds them the wrong way. 
Um, but for folks that are passively watching YouTube or interested in tech, viewing cars in a traditional tech lens has been a kind of unique experience for a lot of people. And somebody like me who I, I love cars, but I, I probably know one tenth of 1% about cars versus what you guys know. I'm just somebody who likes it. Um, you know, trying to find that middle ground between not necessarily calling myself an expert, but calling myself a um, enthusiast and then sort of approaching the content through that lens. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting, you know, prior to even getting in the auto industry, you know, I liked cars and, you know, there was, that was like on my resume when I came into Monroe, how many cars I built and things of that nature, um, failed projects, successful projects. But, um, you know, that, that's why I kind of like most interested from your kind of your background. It just, it's, it sticks out to me because I view them as being so different in many ways, uh, because of like, like the capital that gets tied up in cars and then the thousands of people that are involved with changes, which is in some ways, I think Tesla really has, you know, we've never done any like official work with them. I've you know, never had a chance to see like a line walk at any one of their facilities, see how like kind of they work internally, how they process changes or anything like that. But it's from outside in, right? It's extremely evident that whatever process that they are using, they're able to cut through like red tape, if you will, or kind of like the bureaucratic inertia extremely quickly. Um, Absolutely. You know, in a, in a previous life, I did marketing and advertising for Honda and Acura. And the work that I did was on the collateral side. So you'd have, you know, year over year changes where it was just a, a wheel got changed. We had to identify that small change or, you know, trim color got changed. Now seeing that model versus what the new wave of automakers are doing is just, it couldn't be more, couldn't be more divergent. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's, it's always interesting. And, you know, people ask us all the time, like, you know, what is Tesla doing? And I mean, we have trends, we, again, outside looking in, but it's, it's always, it's always very interesting to me. Um, when, when you see like the speed or I don't even want to say the speed, but the things that they care about. Right. And there's, there's obviously a reason for it. They won't want to change something specifically because then you have to actually essentially change a whole line of like advertising and marketing things. Well, you know, until very, very recently, you know, Tesla didn't have any like conventional advertising, you know, um, it, it was us, you and other people talking about it. It's yeah. kind of how word of mouth got out there. It'd be interesting if this ends up changing for Tesla, right? Because essentially, you know, some of our customers are very concerned about a running change because now they have to go change a building price webpage, right? And yes. and then if you're talking about a running change, which means, you know, early on in the production cycle, this part will look this way. And then halfway through it, especially if you're doing like, um, if you're doing thrifting and cost reduction or something like that, now you get the, for the last half of a model year, potentially, if you're, you're trying to really maximize savings, and that's the only way that it kind of makes sense. Now, half that calendar year gets a less costly execution of that. And that's something that I don't think you really see on as a concern for Tesla. And in some ways it's, it's championed, right? Like efficiency over all else and the, you know, the Spartan minimalism, um, and kind of how it's come to, to fruition. It's, it's just very interesting. The narrative on Tesla advertising is always so interesting. You know, they obviously used to have a, a PR department until, until Elon, you know, dismantled it, but they used to advertise through that PR department and did it very subtly. Um, I got to go with Tesla on a trip to Kemi, Finland to drive Model S. Model 3 was just out at the time on frozen seawater. And sort of the subtext there was talk about it, share about it, you know, share. You know, and that, I think that could be construed as, as, as advertising. 
um, more more subtly than kind of anything else. But certainly that since the PR dismantling, I think that approach has changed. Now you're right; they are doing some more traditional advertising than they've ever done before. Yeah, I mean, it. I would honestly say like the last six months have been very very interesting um, with kind of the whole car space and specifically like the EV space. Um, you know, my my Marcusoft account essentially just tells me all about how EVs are terrible, how EVs are best in the lower right-hand corner and just yeah. the constant conflict in the world. <laughs> Clearly it knows what I click on, you know, um, which, uh, and that all affects each other, right? Supply chain yeah. considerations, things of that nature. Um, but it's, it's kind of interesting uh, to me. And I don't know if you like historically from a, like the tech perspective, right? They iterative launches, right? You know, iPhone one, two, three, four, five, you know, things of this nature. Um, the, like, I guess, what would you, what do you think about maybe the, the softening of the EV push in some regards, right? From manufacturing, um, and then like legitimate, uh, like industrial investment and battery capacity, things like that, that nature that's kind of coming online. And can you draw any parallels to like how the tech industry is also kind of weathering through similar I mean, things? There's nothing that you can relate. And you, you touched on it earlier just by the, the cost, right? Maybe you buy a new smartphone every year for $1,000. It's still a lot of money. But you're not mm -hmm. buying a new Model 3, Model Y, Model S, Model X for you know, 40 plus $1,000 sure. per year. Uh, but also the, the resource intensive. I mean, they're obviously they're all using rare earth minerals and lithium has to be mined and all that stuff. But the degrees of it is it's like so, so variant. Um, I had a question for you, actually. Sure. I have a few, have a few questions for you. Um, <laughs> if I can answer, I will. So. <laughs> different, 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 different than tech, but it's uh, it's it's a Tesla focus question, and okay. I've been getting this question a lot from uh, from family, from friends, and online. Do you think consumers should separate Elon from Tesla in their minds, or should they not? Are they intertwined as kind of of one? one entity i mean i i don't think they're and this is just kevin's personal opinion yeah. um uh i i don't necessarily see them as as one and the same i but i i feel like he is probably you know whether you listen to him on you know like lex friedman or joe or and, and all these things and, and you get a chance to like hear him talk for quite a while about things um i think he provides in some ways and like an, an immense amount of air cover, right? If you want to be risky um, and push change through, like when, we'll talk about like the Cybertruck and it's like aesthetics, maybe a little bit later, but like that made it to production, right? That, that made it to production. So, and it's because of him. And I'm not even saying about like the, the, the level of, of work, that's everyone else, right? But someone had to sign off on that, right? Like I have friends that are designers at, you know, Ford and other places. And, you know, when that, when the Cybertruck released, like I was talking with them and they're all like, you know, because it completely is not their target market. Like, I think they were more concerned about if it came out and it looked like a rebadged F-150, they probably would have like, you know, had a, a huge concern, but they saw it and it's so different. They're like, okay, you know, we, we know what a, lo a lot of our customers, we have a lot of data about what our customers like and things of that nature. But, um, I guess that's what I see as him being an enabler. But I, I think, um, you know, obviously he makes you know a lot of different statements and things of that nature. I, I think he's a key enabler at Tesla. 
And I, but I think if you are underpinning whether you should buy a Tesla, you know, from him because of him, I think you're discrediting the, and I don't know how many people off the top of my head work for Tesla, but thousands of people who put a lot of effort into it. And if you value what, you know, like Tesla has done, and I think the reason, you know, they've been able to kind of slap, like slash prices and things of that nature has been integration and efficiency gains because they, and, and then essentially shorting to ground various other, we'll say profit centers and markups that some other OEMs are still struggling with. Um, you need top cover in order to do that. And I think there's that aspect and maybe he can bring a, a protege on and, you know, since the company is already willing to kind of work in that, that way, it might be, I don't say easy to replace him, but, um, you know, a second in command or whoever it is that, Hey, this is my philosophy. You know, I'm checking out, I'm going to Mars, you know, the reins are all yours, you know, congratulations. I do think it's a little disingenuous to like completely tie him to it because it's, there's so many people that work on them that make them what they are for better or for worse. So the question of people who said, I, you know, I love Elon. I will only buy a Tesla. And the people who say, I hate Elon. I will not buy a Tesla because of him. Both of those, you think both of those camps should separate the man from the product. I think so a little bit, right? Like it's, it's hard for me to know for sure, sure. you know? Um, but you know, with a lot of our customers, there's, there's just a lot of hoops to get through at times, you know, and there's a lot of processes and there's a lot of, you know, meetings and things of that nature. Eric and I were just talking about this. Um, and there's, there's times where we'll be talking, you know, they'll be talking about something and I'm just like, I can't believe we've spent this much time talking about a cost savings idea that's worth so little, you know, yeah. uh, there's a lot of people here. I don't know what the average salary in this meeting is, but you know, I'm looking at the attendee list and I'm like, hmm, all right. You know, the, the dollar per hour is, is, is ticking, you know, here. So, um, yeah, I, I guess in short, I, I think you're right. Right. It's, it's a little disingenuous on, on both those camps. I, I, I would, I'd argue though, if you can separate the, um, We'll say like not i don't say non-value added the non-tesla specific like comments conversations or whatever that is from the man i think it's not necessarily a bad idea to, to credit him for making tesla what it is right and 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 giving that air cover and you know you could argue that it's not a great work environment or anything like that but you know pr providing the foundation and that top cover to enable an environment to move as fast as it does absolutely Absolutely agree. I think it, I, I love talking about Elon specifically because there's never been a character as polarizing. I think, especially especially recently, and it's just so interesting to see somebody that's done so much um, be so polarizing. I actually have a story to share. Uh, I don't think I've actually ever ever shared this story on any video or or podcast. Now, this is a story that was told to me from somebody, so take it with a gigantic grain of salt. I know it's not where you thought this podcast was going to go, um, but uh, here's here's the soundbite. So I have a colleague, uh, a friend of a friend who I spoke to, um, and this person was employee at Tesla under 100. So they were re real early in the Tesla days. They now uh, work under Elon at SpaceX. And uh, this was right before the Twitter acquisition was when we sort of had these conversations. And he said, listen, I, I haven't talked to Elon in a while. He doesn't work directly with him anymore. He's like, so I, I don't know. He says, but in my years of working with him, there are two things he cares about. Getting to Mars and people driving electric cars. Any, anything else that he does or says 
is just to push one of those two things. And this is where this is where I got a laugh out of it. And this is just a, a funny story. He's like, listen, again, I don't know. But if you look at who was buying Teslas on the political spectrum, you had most people on the left were buying Teslas. He says, I imagine Elon looked at that and was like, how do I get the folks on the right to buy Teslas too? And he's like, and that's when, and that's when he saw kind of a, yeah, a more political Elon. It was just a real funny, um, real funny antidote. I, I, I don't know if it has any modicum of truth to it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, there's definitely correlations, right? You could, uh, I imagine if you ask one of the AIs to kind of like put together a collage of images of, you know, those who vote one way to the other, you'll see like, you know, a Cummins with a deleted exhaust rolling coal and then, you know, a Nissan Leaf or something like that. So on the opposite end of that spectrum. But uh, yeah, it it is interesting. Unfortunately, I mean, politics drives everything, but I feel like there's, there's not enough nuance in the conversation about it and, and people aren't really... You know, personally, like one thing I love about Monroe is like, you know, there's people from all sorts of backgrounds here. There's nothing that's like kind of like, like off bounds for conversations. Like the like coffee room conversations are are interesting here, you know, for sure. And uh, and you never feel like there's a kind of like a chilling effect on speech, really, you know, um, with respect to that. And you get interesting perspectives, and you're able to kind of work through you know, preconceived notions and things of that nature. So I think it's, it's kind of interesting, but, uh, I, it'd be, it's unfortunate because you don't see that more, uh, in general, like throughout, I think normal discourse, but, uh, I, what I'm making is I, I think, uh, when you actually like talk to somebody, it's, it's easy in some ways to find common ground. It's like when it's remote and detached, that's when things get kind of hated and, um, you have kind of like the, the camps and the trenches are dug and stuff like that. So. But, uh, uh, anyway, but I, I know I, I yeah. zigged very, I zigged and zagged very far. That's okay. From your, uh, your original line of questioning. Um, that's all right. But you said you had a couple other questions. Did you? No, so I, I just, I, just, I find him very uh, interesting. So you know, I know Sandy was was talking uh, to Elon about Cybertruck, and I think there was some interesting stuff that came out of that. And I love to just uh, I think the Cybertruck is such an interesting vehicle to talk it's about. Very so interesting. I, had, I had some questions. So I, I was, I was there, and the Cybertruck was announced. You're not that big at the big yeah, event. Um, the window. When the window shattered and everything. <laughs> when that first came on stage, I think most people there thought this is just like a like a Tesla joke, and then they're gonna show the real truck. You know, it was like, oh look what we did. And then when it could have became that this was really the thing, um, it just it was a it was a fascinating exercise, uh, I think. Sure. And I don't know if it's form over function, because you could argue that maybe that has the most functional form of any truck. Um but do you think, you know, and seeing what reservation numbers are now versus what they were, like, I, just, I don't know how to feel about the Cybertruck. I go back and forth. I go back and forth on it. Sure. The, the more I look at it, the more I've seen it in person. I just, I don't know how to feel about it. I think, a lot, of people it. Are, I think a lot of people are in the same boat. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember watching the reveal. I had my phone on the dash. I'm driving back to Pennsylvania. It comes out. Everyone kind of saw the light bar. So you kind of knew like, okay, it comes out. I'm like, oh man, this is neat. And it makes like that right turn on the stage. And I'm like, cool. And then I see like, I have a problem with the side project, essentially B pillar rearward. So it makes its rounds. I'm like, this looks neat. I don't love the fender flares. You know, it, it comes. And then I see like the teardrop shape and I'm like, oh, and for me, uh, like the first thing I thought of is like, Aesthetically, it kind of bothers me. It looks like, you know, like a low polygon 90s video game. But like the first thing I thought is like I was as someone who has owned numerous trucks for, throughout his life and, and uses trucks, 
I was like, how am I supposed to like walk back? I do this all the time and like reach over that sail panel. And then initially there was a lot of conversations that you could remove the sail panel and you'd be able to get in there. Cause you know, and then I'm just like, all right. It, and another thing that kind of made me up, not upset about it, but you know, I, I saw it with like the kind of the rumors about it, you know, as you know, when you, when you, when Ford GM or Ram or any of them get another mile per gallon uh, into, you know, or out of depending on how you want to take, take a look at it of, um, like their vehicles, right? And they go from 21 to 22, 22 to 23. That's huge because of their volume and cafe emissions and stuff like that. And, um, you know, there's obviously the whole side of like carbon emissions associated with production and things of that nature. But if you're, if your goal is to get people to drive EVs, and I think we're just realistically at the cusp of a lot of that technology to begin with, um, I was kind of upset to see a truck that I don't want to say couldn't be used for conventional work, but like, you know, people talk about, like, well, you could do all this stuff. It's got stainless steel, like snow plowing. I'm like, well, you, and people will make stuff for it, but there's this whole like industry now that has to be adjusted, like work industry adjusted if they're going to use a cyber truck for it. And it's great for some people, but I, I just thought in my mind, I was like, oh, okay. You know, if you wanted to use it to plow snow or you wanted to use it to do other stuff, um, it, it might be a little bit more difficult to throw a cap, a ladder rack, things of that nature it's going to catch up. It's, it's kind of a silly thing to kind of, you know, point out in, in my own opinion, you know, but it just, that's what I immediately saw when I saw those sail panels, but then I'm like, well, range, right. You know, and, um, there's no getting around the cost and the weight of batteries, even if you're vertically integrated, you know, um, it's still expensive and weight begets weight. And that's like the biggest thing we kind of struggle even with a lot of our kind of customers is they'll kind of go down this, this aspect and, uh, you know, they, they end up having to add battery modules to move this thing down the road because they are concerned about range targets and things of that nature or underperformance and, um, everything just gets heavier, you know? So, uh, well, I want to chime in here cause I got a chance to drive it last week. Oh, please. Yeah. There um, we go. It is starting to grow on me. I initially thought this thing is ugly. It looks like a bedpan on wheels, not interested. <laughs> and then, you know, Getting, seeing them up close, going to drive it. It's starting to grow on me. I don't like the stainless steel. They had one in matte black. I Everyone like says that. that looks good. Yeah, that one, like that yeah. looks like something Batman would drive. And I'm like, I can get behind that. I'm kind of the same way. I'm conflicted constantly about it. Like from front view, like front ISO, like high and low, I think it looks pretty cool. I don't like the fender flares, but whatever. Same thing, rear view, like the ISO, isometric view. I kind of like it. Like side, plain view, look at the side of it. I don't, but... um it's, it is interesting. And, um, honestly, I can't wait to get it. Cause like of all the cars that we've looked at, there's, there's a lot of neat things. Um, but because they do push the bounds, you know, even if people are disappointed that it's not like a true exoskeleton, you know, um, but why, you know, if, if Tesla's gone through its best practices and its lessons learned and they're going to gig castings and they like the manufacturing enablers of it. Right. Um, and you can argue that, you know, both ways on the cost spectrum, but it's, you know, I mean, for all the ones that we've had, all of them, not all of them, but some of them have suffered from NVH issues, whether it's wind coming in from some part of the body, you know, and we've heard from various customers that they have water ingress issues. And I see like Tesla there, if you're sitting there and you're like, well, what's the problem? I'm like, well, you know, we have four panels and the model rear, you know, coming together here in the model three and the sealant is just not being applied correctly or, or whatever it is. And you're like, all right, well, that should be one panel, you know? All right, cool. And you're like, you know what? Let's just stop doing this. And then 
everything becomes one piece. We we focus on like a couple major critical joints to seal, and they, you know, it's it's interesting. I'm not saying that's what happened in that conversation, but in, when I look at it from outside in, of places that I have either direct or again like secondhand knowledge of, of them having trouble, they've radically rectified something, so they just don't have to deal with that trouble anymore. So um, that's. That's interesting. So it makes sense to me when we saw like those leaked images without its panels that there was huge castings throughout it, and um, and it may not be relying solely on the skin and like a um, like a uh, like a subsurface structure like an airplane, right? So it's it's interesting. I, I drive an R one T as my as my truck. So I I'm interested. I love like trucks. I'm obviously interested in the Cybertruck. Um, I do have a couple of questions, especially from somebody who's driven it. What are they doing with the rear visibility? Because when the tonneau's closed or open, there's no rear visibility at all. Is it done through the mirror? Uh, yeah. So when it's closed, you can't see out the back window, but they do have cameras. Um, so you can, they do have rear view mirrors that I believe are detachable. Ours, the, we had a pre-production one that we drove, so yeah. it didn't have a, a mirror. But it had the the camera so you could see behind you. Uh, I've owned three Teslas. I was an early adopter in the Model S, 2012. Um, I drove a Model S, drove a Model X, drove a Model 3. Um, so I've, I've seen the evolution of Tesla vehicles, but I've always long wondered why their reticence to adopt a, a bird's eye view camera now that they have the, the bumper camera. Right. I, I'm not sure. I mean, I I really don't know, to be honest. Yeah, just, um I do feel like though with the Cybertruck, you know, um, and you saw it on essentially like off-road oriented trucks with a front forward facing camera for low speed, which is kind of annoying. I wish you could use it all the time, but, um, you know, it's just that essentially that blind spot that you have there in the front is, you know, significantly alleviated, you know, with it, even though the, the Cybertruck is, um, it's, um, like frontal facing area is pretty low in comparison to a lot of other vehicles, it's you know, it's surprisingly low. Yeah. Yeah. I could not see the hood at all when I was driving that thing. Yeah. I was so afraid I was going to like hit something, <laughs> but that, that turning radius, that is, that is impressive. Yeah. I mean, the turning radius, rear steering is incredible. Um, what about the drive by wire? You think all the Tesla vehicles, the S and the X will go steer by wire? Yeah. I mean, why would you not? I think at this point, um, there's a host of reasons. I think, once the Cybertruck validates it to, you know, the point where they're comfortable there. And obviously they, they are right. They're being sold. Yeah, um, and I know there's a lot of like hesitancy with it, but um, you know, there are, I don't know how much an F 22 costs, but you know, F 16s, F 15s, pretty much every multi million, maybe billion dollar aircraft, the whole program uh, has been, been fly by wire for years. Right. You know um, and, and you're talking about, and I understand the concern, but you're, you're talking about a system that if that fails, um, a lot of those, you know, airplanes are essentially aerodynamically unstable, not necessarily like a, like a, a 747 or something like that. Right. But in order to get the performance, um, that they do as far as like agility and handling and, and stuff like that, they are, they're not necessarily aerodynamically stable. So even if they were manually tethered or there was, you, you couldn't fly them, you know? Um, and if you lose that, they have a series of redundancies, but essentially that, that means instant you know loss of that combat airframe and the pilot and you know the airframes are expensive uh but the loss of a pilot you know especially from like uh you know i think most western militaries 
value trained, you know, airmen, soldiers and stuff like that pretty highly because it's very, very expensive to get them to a certain operational capacity. Um, yeah, I don't think you'd invest that much into it if you, if you felt the technology was not like suitable for it, especially combat, right? You know, um, those, those planes, they're, they're redundant and the, this car will have redundancies as well. And you just have to think of where you're running the redundancies within the airframe or whatever it is to, um, you know, mitigate failure modes along that. But, uh, I, I think so. I, I think there is just off the top, right? There's, when you look at how vehicles are assembled or decked, you know, you have sub cradles kind of coming up and those, that, that attachment point from steering column to steering rack, you know, is like this last bastion. There's other things too, like coolant lines typically between, you know, your thermal system and the, the IP and stuff like that itself. But it's one of like the last bastions of like a human putting their hand inside between the body and chassis and these decking processes, you know? Um, so I, I think it's interesting and that's a big enabler Well, now it's like a click somewhere else with its system and the harness. So, and then even from like an impact perspective, um, with small overlap, rigid barrier sorb, you know, it's a third party test, but when you look at it, anything that is essentially isometric on any side of the vehicle is a, um, a variable, right. Of a control that's different from one side. Um, so you've eliminated that, right. Um, same thing like, like a 12 volt battery being on one side yeah. versus the other. So it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, I'm, I'm going to be fascinated to see if this technology since starts to permeate the automotive industry. And certainly you've seen, you know, where Tesla leads everybody else and everybody else follows. Um, I think it is a paradigm shift, uh, that we'll look back on in, in 10, 15 years and it starts to, to filter down to other automakers is like, this is a, this was a change. I think it was risky for Tesla and Tesla's any com a company who's willing to take those risks. Um, and I loved, I love seeing it. Um, I love seeing what they're doing with, with, with steer by wire and, uh, makes the yoke make a little, make a little more sense and some of their other cars. <laughs> yeah, um, sure. You know, it will be interesting to, interesting to see. Um, so you said you, you, you've, you've driven numerous Teslas, right? And then yes. you've gone to a Rivian. Um, yeah. and it had a lucid in between there. Oh yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, can you give us like a, like a brief summary? So you've had three Teslas, a Lucid yeah. and a Rivian, you know, like maybe high level, what you like, don't like. Absolutely. So, I mean, I was real early in Model S and I, I knew what I was getting into. This is a, this was sure. a Tesla, not where they are now, where I, I didn't know if the company was going to exist six months after delivery of my car. Um, I mean, real early. I remember waiting to get the car until they added parking sensors. Remember, the first Model S didn't ship with parking sensors, and it was added, you know, I think, six months after the initial <laughs> the initial release. Um, I mean, that car was unlike anything else I'd ever driven because it was unlike any other car that ever existed in the history of automobiles before it. You know, the the seventeen inch touchscreen was incredible. A car that got software updates was, I, I, I mean, unbelievable. Um, I never seen something like that before. I remember when I got the car, it didn't have creep. And then I got a software update that enabled creep. I just couldn't wrap my head around and my car got a new feature on Monday that it didn't have on Sunday. Um, that was an absolutely unbelievable experience. Um, I remember thinking that was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Being able to pull up the back, the reverse camera, no matter how fast I was driving seems nuts too. Um, this was pre autopilot, didn't have anything yet uh in it but i just I, I loved i loved that car for 
the future represented. It was fast. I mean, that thing could be anything. It was a P85 that I had. Um, just, I, I loved every single thing about that car. Uh, when we got it, um, day after the delivery, my wife and I had our first kid. Um, by the time the car was due to go back, uh, about three and a half years later, we had two kids. So we, I migrated over to the Model X. Um, not as early uh, with the X as I was on the S, but things like the, the Falcon doors at the time. I mean, it's, it's, it's still cool to see those things go up. Even they become you know so much more commonplace. Um, had a bunch of issues with with mine, but it was just uh, an incredible family car. Um, and then I went to the Model Three. The Y wasn't available yet, so I wanted to try some of the things that the X didn't have. Um, Actually, I should just back up to you. The X was the first car that I bought and paid for the full self-driving package. Um, I was like, oh, this is great. We're going to full self-driving at the end of the year. It's going to drive cross country. Um, you know, Elon said, I'm like, well, I should, I should have it in my car. I'm going to have this car for, you know, three-year lease. I'll, I'll definitely use a full self-driving. Um, by the time that lease was up, the only feature that I ever got in that car and was six months before was due to go back was I got smart sum. Mm. Um, that's rough. <laughs> so, that was, so that was uh that was cool and then uh i got the model three and i was like i'm gonna do full self-driving again because like it's got to come this time um like a dummy um i love that the model three I use a phone as key or something i didn't have before okay, with my yep. other ones um you know the key card the screen oriented um in the reverse way and, and portrait it was faster more responsive. I had you know, sort of the full autopilot features that had come since the Model X. And really, I, I love the cars, not necessarily for a, for a green factor, um, depending on who you ask, they're either green or less green, but I love them for just sheer performance factor. Sure. Um, well, know, I think that's something they've... Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, I think just the 0 to 60 time is... I, I, I still love that. You know, I get the argument that EVs lack a soul. Um, and I, I, I get that. I'm not what's right for me is not always right for everybody else. Sure. Um, but I've, I've loved seeing Tesla be unafraid to take risks and it harkens back to my initial thoughts about Elon was Tesla took risks because he took risks. Um, and I, I, I respect what Tesla did in the, especially in the early days and then going through and reading Walter Isaacson's biography and having more context of what was going on at that time you know, weeks away from going bankrupt and they were pushing out these features. Um, it was really awesome to see. And then um, my lease on the Model 3 was up and I think I just wanted to try something different. I had the UI looked essentially the same, relatively the same since I had my original Model S. Um, I just wanted to look at something different. Um, so I was like, I, I'm not shy to try a new car for a new company. I had an opportunity to get uh, a Lucid Air, one of the Dream Editions. Um, I mean, if I thought my Model S was fast, uh, that thing was, I got the performance version of that. It was a 1,100 11 horsepower. It was unbelievable. Um, it was the most fun I've ever had driving a car, ever. And it was the best driving uh, EV I'd ever sat in. It was comfortable, a ton of room in the back. Software was a garbled mess. It was, the software was so... I mean, Lucy's not going to be talking about this, but um, I was one of the first to took delivery. And uh, I think when I met you guys too, I didn't even have my car. I had a loaner car from Lucid. Right. Um, yep. Correct. And uh, that's because my car kept having issues. 
cameras wouldn't turn on, signals weren't working, software was crashing. It was such a horrible experience. Actually, I wrote an email to Peter Rollinson himself. I had met him at an event and he gave me his card. So I, <laughs> I was like, screw it, I'm going to write him a, I'm gonna write him a letter. Um, uh, and I got, I got a phone call from him directly like two days later. Yeah. Um, you know, apologizing and they took my car up to the, the Bay Area and they gave me a same car as a loaner to try to figure it out. I just, I couldn't drive a car that I couldn't trust was going to work. Sure. Uh, and from what I understand, their version 2.0 fixed all the issues. Right. And it seems like things have been markedly better. And I, I would probably buy another Lucid again. I think the gravity looks awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then. Um, so, so how's your relationship with Lucid now? Uh, not so existent, I think is probably the, the best way to describe it. They were the Lucid, there weren't that many on the road, right? I, I paid for my car. I was a consumer that happens to be public facing. So I, I felt free to talk about everything. Um, Lucid did not want me being so vocal, I think, especially about some of the issues I was having. I tried to be balanced with the positives as well, but it was my car. Like, what do you, Sure. It wasn't a press car. Um, yeah, well, I'm only asking because Lucid, for whatever reason, doesn't want anything to do with us. We have oh, requested press vehicles. We have requested interviews. And they just don't want to work, collab with us in any way. Have you gotten a reason as to why? No. Well, that's the, how um, you came along because we tried to reach out to Lucid. And we're like, we're going to be in the... LA area, we would love to check out one yeah. of your vehicles. And they flat out said no. So then I went on Twitter or X yeah. and you were nice enough to let us check out yours. So much appreciated. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, and it's, you know, we've had a chance to look at both the battery and drive modules, you know, especially the rear one. And it's very interesting. You know, it's yeah, their um, underbox is incredible. Yeah. It, it's, you know, when you, I have a picture of Jordan, like holding the differential, like in his hand, like a little baby, you know, it looks like a puppy, you know, it's like wrapped up and stuff like that. But it's, it's just interesting, you know, there's a lot of times when, um, you know, people ask like if, if they want to like reduce costs in EVs, should they build, be building their own motors? And you're like, you know, they're pretty efficient as is. Um, and I'm not saying there's not more to be gained, you know, from uh, like a cost or, um, performance, you know, perspective or, or even integration to the rest of the vehicle, most certainly. But, um, it was just interesting to see, you know, they took a, a different approach, you know, to it from a packaging perspective and it's, in, it's incredibly small, you know, you just think about the front and rear overhangs, you know, the, the enabler, I mean, it's like this big, you know, the inverter is bigger, but it's just, uh, it's very, very interesting. So, and I think that's cool too. It's, it's cool to see them kind of, um, you know, develop a new take on it. And there's, again, there's risk just like with the Tesla, you know, they're, they're taking risk and, and I, I've never driven one. I've seen them drive around. Um, they're not like my type of vehicle per se. So I don't follow them like very closely, but, um, it was very interesting to see them like those components up, up close yeah. in the car itself. So, um, I, it's I cool. I, I, their cars were so fun to drive. And I, I think when the software gets figured out and again, like I understand it is, I do think the future, they have a bright future, you know, despite stock price and all that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, so it's, it's going to be interesting to see what they do. I think their deal with, was it Aston Martin that they had with them? I, I believe, I'm not sure. Yeah, I think they're going to provide some of those drive units. It's brilliant. 
Um, it was a brilliant business move for them. Yeah, because because they're they really are very different. Yeah, you know, and there's there's I think a lot of enablers you know to them um, because when you start getting those hard those hard packaging conflicts, right, um, where you would you're begging for millimeters, but now you've gotten you know. 300 of them, you know, back yeah. because of how small this drive module is. You're like, what do we do with this space? So, um, I, so while you're kind of talking, you've gone to the, from model three to lucid before we kind of anything's lucid, the model three Highland, no stocks. What do you, I mean, they're not really here yet or anything like that, yeah. but, um, my biggest issue with, uh, the no stock approach on the S and the X was the horn and really with, not really the stocks, but then it's changing what they change with sure. not having a physical horn that you can honk. Um, maybe it's an old school mentality, but having a button you have to look down to see seems horribly dangerous and instant when you need to have a horn. Sure. And I know you can kind of put your hand over it and it honks a horn that didn't always work in practice. Sure. I don't mind. I think that's, that's a unique approach. They want to get rid of the stocks and it's on the wheel. I think that's fine. You can honk the horn like a normal car. I have, from my standpoint, I have no issue with it. It's different. I think it's different for a lot of different sake. Um, you know, but Tesla's any input is error kind of approach, I guess, is sort of permeating that decision. Um, I think you know what it is when you buy it, right? You know, you're sure. not going to have stocks, so you can't really complain about not having stocks. Right, right. Yeah, it just it is interesting. Um, but yeah, I would argue, um, like you're saying, you know, what it is what you're buying it. And if you don't like it, you can, you can buy Maki, right? Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a good EV and it's a very traditional vehicle. So if you like stocks. It's got them, you yeah. know, it's even got a knob on the screen. So I, I love what they did with Highlands. I think bringing the, the Model 3 a bit more upscale too, the screen in the back, ventilated seats. I think the design, the tweaks, the front fascia look awesome. Uh, I can't wait for Highland to make its US debut, I'm assuming 24. Um, yeah. yeah. We'll see. I mean, yeah, full, full self-driving. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I think they did a incredible job with it. And from what I understand to fix a lot of the build quality issues that had kind of been plaguing some of the, the model three. So that sure. translates here to what they do and, you know, in Fremont and Texas, then they're going to continue to sell uh, a ton of them. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the Rivian, right. Um, yes. you're driving that now it's your current vehicle. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess, what do you think about it? And maybe what do you think about like Rivian's approach to both like the yeah. kind of this EV adventure truck and um, like the technology that's in it? It Absolutely. looks nicer than a cyber truck, in my opinion. <laughs> I, I, should, I should give the caveat here that I've never had a truck before. I'm not a traditional truck person. I'm not, mm -hmm. you know, I've gone off-roading a few times, but I'm not like off-roading. The only thing I haul is groceries from Costco. Um, but I do have three kids and three active kids that are in and out of a lot of sports. And, um, I looked at the R1T and same approach I had with Tesla early and Lucid early was like, here's a new company. What they're doing is I think a very different approach to, to a truck. Um, I love to, I love to give it a shot. Um, I've had mine for about a year and a half. I have just shy of 30,000 miles on it. So I'm going to have, I put a lot of miles on this thing. It has been essentially problem free. I have the big dumb off-road wheels on it, um, still on its original tires that are still good. I haven't had camber issues that are causing tires to to wear. Um, the software, I think where Lucid made a mistake early on, they tried to put a bunch of stuff in software. I think early on Rivian put just a few things in there and they all worked well. 
and seeing the changes and seeing the software updates come, I have full faith uh, in their software development and what they're doing and features um, getting added. It is the most practical family car I have ever had. I have my kids putting on baseball cleats on the gear tunnel. I got baseball bats in the gear tunnel. I have a bunch of uh, groceries in the front trunk. We took my family of five um, to Yosemite a few months after I got it. And my daughter was little, so we took a full-size crib in the back. Five people's luggage and food for weeks all in one truck. Um, I love it. What surprised me about it, my, my wife was driving a Honda Odyssey at the time, and she just drove my the truck sometimes, you know, because easier when she was was out running errands. And she fell in love with it so much that she actually now drives an R one S. It's very so nice. Yeah. yeah, we're a full we're a full Rivian uh, full Rivian family here. I think their approach. I think they were targeting the outdoorsy people, and they just. I think it ends up being a lot of dads and moms that are buying these things. Sure, um, I, I think their cars are incredible and nothing about driving either of these seems like first or second car from the new car maker. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, I think they've done a, I mean, we've obviously torn one down. There's yeah. in some ways a lot of complexity. I watched, I watched every um, single video, every second. Yeah. I understood about 10% of what you guys said, but it was fascinating to watch, um, especially with the, the front crash protection stuff you guys are talking about. Yeah. I, mean, and, I, I was always excited for them. You know, like I, I thought it was just very interesting. Some, some elements they took some, some things I think are, I'd like to know the story. I, I try not to yeah. judge too hardly or too harshly on anything because frankly, you can explain, I don't want to say you can explain away anything, but you know, timing, money, all that stuff matters. And yeah, like, mm, all right, I get it. You know? Um, but, uh, yeah, they're, they're very interesting. I, I really do hope they do. They do well. I'm just, I've been, I was interested because the one that we had that before we tore it down, mm -hmm. actually, Eric and I were driving it very, very briefly before someone else took a look at it. Um, you know, uh, there was car seats in the back and I was like, man, yeah. just a little, little too small for me. I was interested though. Maybe I was like, maybe, um, when the kids are older and there's no car seats and they do like a, a decontented version. You know, it's, for me. it's perfect yeah. for car seats. Yeah. So I guess maybe my, I need to get thinner ones. You know, I don't know what the ones that we had in the, yeah. uh, in the and back, we have, but, uh, uh, we had car seats. I have two boosters, uh, going okay. in now, uh, and a car seat. Gotcha. Gotcha. Hmm. I don't have to give it a look. Cause I do like it. I came from Rangers, you know, when I was younger, now I'm in the full size truck game and, uh, they're nice. I don't know if I give up the space that they offer, but, uh, I've been tempted, you know, with the, the Schmedium midsize truck game now and the Rivian for a while, I've just been paying, paying a lot of attention to it. I think it's, it's interesting, you know, I have a question for John. So you said you, you know, Tesla, Lucid, Rivian. Have you tried any other EVs from any of the traditional OEMs? I mean, not that I've not that I've owned myself. Um, I had a chance to kind of drive through Michigan in in a Lightning. Um, had a Mach E for a little while just to test. Um, nothing that I've sort of owned myself. I, I would love sure. to see, love to drive an IX and see if I could deal with the horrible looks for a great drive. Um, Maybe some subjectively horrible looks, I should say, to the folks sure. that, own, that own an IX. Oh, no. uh, the, the IX is ugly. I would love to talk to BMW's design team and be like, what? The interior of these cars are stunning. Like, what are you thinking? Like, sure. the car does not need to be all grill. And then to make it look like, <laughs> but like, explain, explain it away. I would just, I would love to, 
I'm sure I'd get anything of like it's iconic and it's a kidney grill and it's all about a statement. Um, I digress. Um, yeah, <laughs> but uh, uh, those are really the ones I've tried. I did. I was going to get a EQS when they first came out um, instead of the Lucid, but then the local dealer here was marking it up at fifty thousand um, dollars, and then I realized it looked like an egg. And that was probably a better choice, but um, sure. That's really my my EV experiences. Okay. So I have a, and you may not be able to answer this, but I, you know, from like a tech perspective, right? Um, it's something that just even here we talk about it a lot, um, like life cycle engineering, things of that nature. Um, and I used to give Jordan, like I still kind of do, um, a real hard time about his uh, the AirPods, you know, like with the batteries. I was like, well, man, you know, when they go bad, they go bad. And then you know, Apple responded, right? They had this program, they'll cut them open, they recycle the batteries. Um, because I, you know, there's there's murmurs in the the car industry, right? Um, you know, New Jersey's passed a law. Some, you know, other states are talking about advisory councils with respect to um, handling batteries. You know, and and, and vehicles specifically. They're you know, and they're and it's essentially like you know. Um, I, do you see this like on the on the on the tech side on how they're they might be dealing with essentially, I guess the the fast progression. Um, and how they may reclaim some aspects of, of uh, the materials or battery materials used. And I just kind of, maybe your thoughts, yeah, if there's yeah, anything you've come across on the tech side and how the auto industry, specifically sure. the domestic one, you know, I think in Europe, it's, it's very different with the life cycle, life cycle perspective and carbon credits, but I'm yeah. just curious if you kind of come across that in your, your tech ventures. Um, so when, when it comes to phones, which is probably the, you know, the biggest thing, everybody, you know, millions of phones uh, in the world uh, or billions, if not more, um, but they all have a battery built in. But the life cycle of phone is not you or I go and buy a phone and then we sell it or turn it back into Apple or whoever you bought it from. That's not the life cycle of the phone. That phone has two or three lives after that. It goes to a secondary market. It goes to a developing country, you know, two or three years after that phone came out. So the life cycle on those, um, it has more lives to live. But then again, people are driving a car longer than these phones are probably going to be in existence, right? So, you know, Apple will proudly show you a video of their battery recycling robot um, that they like to sort of call out every uh, every few years on keynotes. Um, but I, don't, I really don't know what happens to all these batteries. It's it's environmental impact, what it costs to, to mine them, what it costs to recycle them, all those things. The, the greenhouse gas gets emitted. I, I don't I, I don't know the answer to those, those questions and certainly are questions a lot of people are asking. Okay. Yeah, I just was kind of curious. I just you know, we look at it, cost roll-ups, you know, we have our cost per kilowatt hour, things of that nature. And just, it's a, it's a constant conversation. And then even for some of our more traditional customers for more traditional materials, like aluminum extrusions, trying to increase recycled amount, you know, there's, um, there's cost benefits there, uh, at times because of how constrained the aluminum industry is. And then, um, then on the backside, just some, there might be some carbon credits. There's, there's a lot of chatter here in the U S about that. Cause some of this language is specifically targeting, you know, EV car manufacturers, if you're building the battery and it's now your responsibility, um, to deal with that. Right. Um, and that's, I think it's a little bit different. You know, I would argue I, you made an interesting point about the phones, they're, they're secondary and, uh, you know, tertiary markets. I think trucks are the same way. So when people talk about these hundred thousand dollar EVs, I'm like, man, I've never seen a trunk of the, a truck in a junkyard that hasn't had a tow hitch that's been abused and a bed that's barely together. Right. Yeah. The first, the first owner may not, ever tow with it or anything like that. But then when someone buys it for like a long care business or something like that, they, 
you know, I feel like trucks are either totaled out or they're just driven until the wheels fall off. Yeah. Um, and from that perspective, either terrible for the environment or great, you know, depending on how you're, how you're looking at that, they, they get a full life cycle for sure. Yeah. I, I wonder if vehicle to grid technology is going to extend the life that people hold on to their EVs. You know, people get whatever EV they get, assuming everyone has vehicle to grid technologies uh, or vehicle to home stuff, you know. Does it make sense to sell my EV when I already have it set up? It's a, a power wall. It's a battery backup. Um, maybe giving these battery packs and cars secondary uses for the primary owner is kind of interesting. You know, interesting use case for this. Yeah, I, I that is it's an interesting conversation. Um, All right, we are approaching an hour. Before we get out of here, I just have to bring this up. You're a sports fan, obviously. I follow you on yes. Twitter. Thank you. <laughs> um, so us being in the Metro Detroit area and you getting Matt Stafford and then winning that Super Bowl, like still really upsets me. <laughs> I mean, you guys are doing you guys are doing well though. I mean, you took uh took Jared Goff, the Lions are back. It seems like one of those rare trades that everybody everybody won. Yeah, we are doing good now, but uh when they when he I'm happy for him, but I was so bad when he won. I mean, he was the uh, Detroit Rams. Um, <laughs> I, oh, those I saw those shirts. I saw those shirts in Metro Detroit. But I respect I respect Lions organization. Just sports side, real fast. Um, I thought they did right by Stafford. I really do. I thought they did right by him. They treated him well. They respected the trade wish. It was kept in house. I thought the handle did very classy. Um, I actually because of all that. I'm I, if I'm not cheering for the Rams, I'm a season ticket holder of the Rams. Uh, I'm cheering for the Lions. I love seeing those guys. I love seeing those guys do well. Um, I love seeing Jared Goff thrive. And I don't think if that trade hadn't happened, that the Lions would be even close to contention that they're in right now. I'm mean, looking. They're looking at what a two seed in the NFC. They, they wouldn't be a two seed if, they, if that trade hadn't happened. Probably not. So I, I, I got I got love I got love for the Detroit Lions. <laughs> There you go. I, I want to respect your time here because we're kind of coming close to it. But uh, I, I just want to say, uh, you know, you know, thank you very much. Um, yeah. It's nice to talk to you. You, you kind of have a, a very interesting story, um, just from the foundations of YouTube, kind of how things have changed the tech industry, thank and you. now you know, kind of being a dedicated thing. It's uh, it's it's very interesting to see, and uh, you know, kind of I wish you continued success. So thank you for having me on. Sorry, yeah. I, I zigged and zagged all over. No, no, your, it's uh, fine. Your agenda here. No, it's. I mean. Ultimately, we just we just wanted to talk to you. So uh, yeah, no, it was great. Uh, thanks again, and I I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you guys for having me back. For having me on. Yeah. <laughs>